Welcome to another edition of the Ebony Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McDonald. We are the official Baltimore Ravens website and podcast of Fansided. You can check us out at ebonybird.com and on Twitter at ebony underscore bird. I'm contributor Jay McDonald 95 and I wanted to say you can also find us on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio for all things podcast related. Be sure to check out the Ebony Bird app from uh, the App Store. A couple articles here. Chris really hit the uh, nail on the head with his two uh, articles. Site expert Chris Schistler, Ravens win 23-16, to awarding free game balls and the good, the bad, the ugly. Our other site expert, Joe Schiller, uh, wrote the Ravens bend but don't break in 23-16 win. And then our own Richard Bradshaw uh, wrote a piece today about Terrell Suggs, not C.J. Mosley, being the Ravens' best defensive player of the year candidate. Certainly made his case last night with, with the strip sack of Tom Savage. And that's one thing we're going to break down uh, with our two site experts joining me at this time, Chris Schistler and Joe Schiller. You can find Chris and Joe on Twitter at FootballMan58 for Chris and Joe Schiller with two R's. For Joe, so fellas, uh, let's get right into it. Over to Chris and then Joe. Recapping the Texans game, thoughts coming out of the Ravens' first Monday night home game uh, in five years. We'll go around here. Uh, Chris, why don't you start us off tonight? Well, I think I'm happier than most Ravens fans right now. They're six and five to control their destiny. Um, since when did Baltimore Ravens football need to be pretty? It was always. We've always won ugly football games like this, and you know what? You got a fake punt that was awesome. Uh, I just love how nonchalant Sam Cook is. He just like throws it. Like he doesn't like. There's no tell. He just kind of does his thing. Awesome. The Ravens will themselves to victory. I mean, the defense had some problems with DeAndre Hopkins, but overall, the defense was solid. The penalties were ridiculous. We had to beat the Houston Texans and the officials in the same game, you know, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't a great game. It wasn't a game that you're going to look back in 10 years and say, you know what, I remember that Houston Texans game on Monday Night Football. No, you're not going to do that. But I, I feel like a lot of Ravens fans are upset right now because the offense was so putrid. But the Ravens' offense has been putrid all season. We're 6-5. and five. We have a chance to do something meaningful this season. Let's go for it. I, I'm not exactly excited how they won, but you have to be excited that the Baltimore Ravens won and they control their destiny. Yeah, I don't think the offense played too much better last week, but people are more happy because it was a shutout. I mean, at this point in the season, what do you expect from the offense? The wide receivers aren't huge threats for Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco just isn't the quarterback he's been. This team, this offense relies primarily on the crown game and the defense, and they're still winning games. So, like you said, Chris, I'm pretty happy, too. I mean, a lot of people, if they come into a Ravens game now expecting the offense to do well, then they're just kidding themselves because that's just not how this team wins games. And, I mean, they're still winning, so I can't complain about that. I mean, if you take away that first touchdown at the Texans out of the open drive that was pretty much fueled by penalties in the first place, I mean, they scored nine points on, on three field goals. Hopkins had a big game, but he didn't score a touchdown. Um so that was pretty good from a defensive standpoint. I know we'll get into the injuries in a little bit, but Marlon Humphrey out, not on the field. You wonder if um, how Jimmy Smith's Achilles is really holding up because Humphrey has relieved him from that um, spot a couple times this season. But, I mean, the ground game was good. That was a great offensive line push to push uh, Buck Gallon into the end zone. Alex Collins had a strong game. I love the aggressive calls by Harbaugh on both the fourth downs with the fake punt and the – well, tossed out to Collins. That was a perfect play to set up the um, eventual touchdown. I mean, it's kind of sad that Cook is the, is the best, was the best quarterback on the field last night, but 
hey, when the Ravens are winning, I really can't complain. And I just wonder, like we've talked about all season, this defense is carrying them into a playoff spot once to get up against the better teams in the AFC and possibly the NFC if they somehow made it to the Super Bowl. Um, will they be able to hold up against a good quarterback like a Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady? I think we've yet to see that. And we'll get to see that when they face off in the face against the Steelers on Sunday night in two weeks. Yeah, you guys hit a lot of what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to bring up Sam Cook going two for two perfectly on the season on that fake punt. Uh, defense committing uh, eight penalties overall, uh, six in the secondary, which led to the Texans' only touchdown, uh, which was a Brandon Carr pass interference. It's up the Texans on their own or on the Ravens' 40-yard line. Uh, which led to a Lamar Miller touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins gave the Ravens fits. It seemed like Jimmy Smith and anyone who was covering him really struggled finishing the game with seven receptions for 125 yards along of 39 with 10 targets, no scores there. A lot of And a lot of my friends, too, a bunch of friends that watched the game out of market not being Ravens fans, they said to me just, you know, watching uh, the Ravens on national TV, just, man, uh, Flacco looks like a shell of his former self, and really that's... It's exactly what we've been harping on all season long. Tom Savage, I mean, all, all Sam Cook jokes aside, was the better uh, quarterback on the field last night, throwing for 252 yards on 22 completions with two picks. Flacco didn't have any touchdowns or interceptions. He threw for 141 yards on 20 passes. But, I mean, a lot of what my friend's saying, I mean, yeah, it's true. I don't really know. I mean, Flacco missed a lot of receivers down the field uh, last night. The deep ball hasn't been there just like we've seen all season. And then he also missed a lot of receivers in stride who had to make, like, contested catches or uh, athletic maneuvers just to be able to get to the ball Flacco was throwing, even on crossing routes. Really just a theme that we've seen uh, all season long. And, yes, Flacco's had the knee brace and he's had the concussion and he's had the back. He's missed some time as he's gotten older. Um, but, I mean, really they haven't had a big-name running back in the last few seasons. There, there have been several injuries to the offensive line. Um, they don't have the butter holding everything together and Marshall Yonda in there. And then you have a bunch of receivers. You have the, you know, the inability to draft a number one legitimate receiver. And then you have a bunch of veterans in here that, yeah, were great number two wideouts on the, their other former teams, but have come to Baltimore in their late 20s, early 30s, have lost a step, you know, aren't necessarily a, were a big number one receiver to begin with. And, uh, really have battled some injuries just like Jeremy Macklin has all year. So a lot of this combination has led to the Ravens being the, the worst pass offense in the NFL, coupled along with the injuries to the tight end suffered and Ben Watson, a 36-year-old guy coming off an Achilles being the top uh, tight end. Going back to Flacco, all of that's having uh, an effect on him, no doubt, and all the coordinator changes we could certainly point to, uh, the play calling. But my friends are right. He hasn't thrown the ball like he used to. The deep ball is non-existent. Um, just the inability to have any intermediate threat or deep threat really is her, a big reason why this offense isn't being as successful as we've seen in the past. Uh, we'll go over to Joe and then Chris with just any other thoughts on the way Joe Flacco threw the ball last night. I mean, at this point, we kind of know who Flacco is. I think Monday Night Football has been touched on that with that one graphic of how well he played during that Super Bowl run and just how terrible he's played since. But I was talking to my dad about this. I mean, the wide receivers just don't give him any help. I mean, that 50-50 ball with Mike Wallace, Mike Wallace is not a wide receiver that's meant to go get 50-50 balls up in the air. He's a speedy wide receiver you're going to hit on a crossing route that's going to pick up big yards. Like you said, Macklin's a guy who really has lost his step. I mean, he had a good couple first games, but really has been pretty quiet since he's been back. And Brashad Perriman, we wouldn't even have known he was on the field even though he was active. He didn't make a play, even though a couple of the balls that were thrown his way really weren't catchable passes. But it's, I mean, Flacco's been playing terrible, but he just doesn't have a lot of help. 
I mean, if you look on paper, you say, wow, my, maybe Mike Wallace and Jeremy Macklin are great veteran names. But they really haven't put up much production at all, even with how terrible Flacco has been playing. I was having this conversation at work, and I, I try to argue that we need to change the Joe Flacco conversation. The conversation isn't that he sucks, because, well, right now he does. And that's a fact. I mean, he's playing bad football. But he's your quarterback. So the conversation has to be, what do you do around him? What do you do to prevent some of these struggles? Or maybe, how about the front office? Get him a weapon or two that can, you know, help out. Make so much talent around him that, you know, even Joe Flacco can be successful. The conversation needs to change because we know he's not playing well. We know he's not going to play well. But we know because of that contract, he's our quarterback. The conversation now needs to go to the front office. What have they done to lead to the situation uh, by not giving him help, taking away his wide receivers? Uh, the offensive line's not on the Ravens. The injuries were unpredictable. The offensive line should be good next year. But you look at the conversation about Joe Flacco, let's let's get the new let's get a new quarterback and groom him under Flacco, but Flacco's your quarterback. Deal with it. And one last thing I wanted to bring up is again Flacco the second time since he's torn his ACL two years ago, uh breaking the left knee brace that he's been that he has to wear since suffering the injury. Don't know if that's gonna be a permanent thing or not, but if it's gonna be a permanent thing, he needs to figure out how to slide better on that left leg. He's known to slide on his left leg, and really, I have it here as, a, as just a, to- a talking point for the night, an in-depth analysis of Joe Flacco's inability to slide like a normal NFL quarterback. Every single time Flacco goes to the ground, it's like it's like he's not even, it's like he's sitting. It's like he's almost trying to sit down in like a, a pretzel, like crisscross applesauce, like they used to say in elementary school and kindergarten. Um, and that's led to his knee brace breaking both times. Looks like a really gruesome injury on TV when all it really is is a broken knee brace, but... You go back to the concussion he suffered in the other primetime game against the Dolphins. That time, too, it's literally, it's, he's, not, he's not going down as flat as he should. He's almost going down not in a 90-degree angle, but maybe like a 75, 70-degree angle. And, I mean, he was lucky he didn't get blasted last night. He did, have a, he did run for uh, 42 yards on six carries, uh, the second highest rushing total on the team last night. But, again, breaking the knee brace and just looks completely unorthodox when he does it. What do you, uh, We'll go to Chris and then Joe. Just thoughts on Flacco failing to slide repeatedly over and over again and no really real attempt seems to be made at fixing this issue. Honestly, I would be a little disappointed if Flacco slid correctly because everything Joe Flacco does is awkward, so it would be an inconsistency. I mean... He's just a very awkward athlete. I mean, you you go back to his first touchdown, uh, which was a 37-yard run. That was the weirdest play in NFL history. I mean, it just every time Joe Flacco takes off a run, it's just goofy. He's athletic, but he's not coordinated. It's weird. I find it hilarious. I mean, you pay me $120 million, I'll go inside for you. I think I could do that a lot better than he does, and I think a lot of people could do better than Flacco does. But at this point, I mean, I just I just think it's really funny trying to watch him slide. And I don't even know why he's still wearing the knee brace. I guess he's still got it from when he tore the ACL. But at this point, I mean, I don't even – did he even put it back on after he broke it last night? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I don't know. I mean, he came out uh, – I know Mallet was on the field, but he came back out pretty quickly after they took him out to get it looked at. 
Yeah, I heard that he had to, like, drop his pants and teammates, like, pulled a towel over him and, like, covered him. It was just the weirdest thing in the world and just only a thing that Joe Flacco could do. I mean, if I were him and his knee's really not giving him any problems, why even wear it? I mean, that seems just to break every time it um, he slides. But to be fair, the Ravens are undefeated 2-0 when Joe Flacco does break his knee breaks. So I don't know if we can complain. Yeah, that's a little that's a little tidbit there. The second time it happened last year in a home game against the Steelers, of course, the Ravens won that game. I think the final score was 21-14. I'd have to double-check that. But uh, moving on, one last talking point we did want to talk about before we move on to uh, – other topics here. The empty seats uh, really seems to be an ongoing problem. You know, there's a number of factors that can go into this. Uh, I know there's there's a bunch of fans that you know maybe had tickets but just decided not to use them. And we we've harped on this before. You hear it, you know, on local radio and local television in Baltimore, people talking about it. It's really a league wide problem. But really, Baltimore is considered to be one of the, the more passionate football fan bases in the NFL. And really, they've been struggling to have consistent, excuse me, attendance since they won the Super Bowl four years ago. I think, kind of like we've been saying before, there is more of a um, appeal to stay at home and watch Red Zone all afternoon. Uh, the Ravens certainly have had a lot of big names like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed leave the building. But you look at the products on the field now, and we, I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm like uh, just spinning a broken record here. We live in a time, you know, it's it's great to have good defense and everything, but if you don't have a good offense, it puts people to sleep, and I think the Ravens, form, I mean, the defense is playing great, let's not get them wrong here, forcing two turnovers in the final five minutes, three again overall, good performance on Monday night, not disputing that at all, but when you have absolutely no offense, especially a passing offense that's ranked last in the NFL, then you couple that along with a guy, a known, I mean, he's performed very well this season, give him all the credit in the world, but before the season, a no-name running back coming here off the practice squad, and then no offensive line aside from Ronnie Stanley and you know Ryan Jensen having a good performance every couple weeks, once in a while. I'm not surprised. I mean, you throw and you throw in the cold weather now in there. I'm not surprised at all that the Ravens don't you know have better attendance. And I know this isn't something that should be critiqued. And I know they rotate introductions every every home game. Uh, but what do you, I mean, when you expect the last-ranked offense in the NFL that gets introduced uh, one by one, granted they did bring out members of the military with them, it, it's hard for people to get excited and, you know, muster up 80 or more dollars and say, hey, let's go to the Ravens game. When all of this is going on, and they're a 500 team every year, it seems like now, we'll go over to Joe and Chris. Just any other thoughts? Because I feel like we've been talking about this a lot. We'll probably talk about it a little next week once there's a disappointing crowd on hand. Um, Sunday against the Lions. They, I mean, the Ravens did all they. I mean, they they did do a good job of promoting the blackout and whatever. Um, but just some more thoughts. Anything else that we've noticed as far as the empty seats go for, uh, especially a primetime game, the first primetime game, a Monday night game in five years in Baltimore, and there's still all these empty seats. I think it just has something to say with the product on the field. I mean, I feel like a lot of fans go to games looking for high-scoring games for big explosive plays, wide receivers quarterbacks and running backs scoring touchdowns and that's just not what you're going to get when you go to a Ravens game. I mean, it's going to be a stingy defensive performance, an ugly game where the offense doesn't score a lot of points and the defense makes plays to win the game. And on a Monday night with a lot of people at work in the morning too, I mean, that's a late game. You're not getting back until at least maybe one or two, depending on your commute back from Baltimore with traffic and everything. So I think just overall, it's, a, it's just a tough thing. Um, but I think overall it just speaks on the stuff. The product on the field, the offense isn't good, and people aren't going to go watch going to go watch a team that's not scoring many points, no matter how many games they win. Honestly, yeah, it's disheartening to me because the Ravens' offense has been good so 
seldom in their history. I basically remember going to games since I was 11, and it 2014, 2015, that was when it started to go, you know, this isn't the same. And I don't, I just don't understand it. I, I don't understand it because, you know, me personally, I, I've never been a guy who could afford to go to every game. I always wanted to. I, I never could. I, I go to three or five games a year. I, I've always loved it. I've always, I, I'm never going to not be passionate about the Ravens. It's just, you know, it's, they're my Ravens. I love them as much as I hate them sometimes, and I hate them as much as I love them. I, they're my Ravens. Um, it's just disheartening since when do we expect offense from the Baltimore Ravens? And, uh, yeah, I was talking to a guy at work today who said he was disgusted by the Ravens' performance, and I was like, we won. You know, we're 6-5. and five. Like, disgusted? Like, what did you expect? I just don't – I mean – I'm mad at the offense, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching the team or stop caring. So, I don't know. It just it breaks my heart. We are the Ebony Bird Podcast. Again, check us out. We are the official fan side affiliate of the Baltimore Ravens. You can find us on Twitter at Ebony underscore Bird and EbonyBird.com. And, of course, you are listening to this podcast through other iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. I am contributor Jake McDonald. You can find me on Twitter at jmcdonald 95 as well as my sports blog, TermCityBirdWatch.com and TermCityBW on Twitter. Uh, and, of course, our two site experts, Football Man 58, Chris Schistler and Joe Schiller, at Joe Schiller with two R's on Twitter. Certainly hope the, uh, all of you uh, Ravens fans out there enjoyed your Thanksgiving and the turkey and the stuffing and the uh, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie, everything involved. I just got back to school uh, yesterday, and I'll be here another two weeks as we wrap up uh, the semester and finals, as I'm sure Joe is down in, uh, at Westminster, down in Maryland as well. We now want to talk about some things real quick. Uh, some injuries suffered last night. Uh, First of all, Ronnie Stanley's knee injury kind of went down a little bit awkwardly uh, you know, about midway through the game. Said that he heard something pop in his right knee when the injury occurred um, being interviewed after the game. And it certainly looked like a really bad uh, right knee injury, possibly an ACL or a hamstring, something like that. He did go into the blue medical tent, but apparently he was fine and returned to and finished the game. So obviously the fact that he was able to play most of the second um, well, after he, after he came out and was able to play the rest of the game, that's certainly a good sign. But anything you hear a pop is not cer- certainly encouraging. Maybe it could have been something like a dislocation. But as far as we know, there's no significant injuries. Uh, the Ravens, I believe, did not have their normal. Uh, they usually have a press conference on Monday going over re- uh, injuries and stuff. But since they had the Monday night game last night, no such press conference occurred today. So as far as we know, Stanley's going to be okay. Linebacker C.J. Mosley suffered a stinger. And it should be noted that he also suffered an ankle injury, a sprained ankle, last week against the Packers. He was evaluated for a concussion after the stinger was suffered, but he did return to the game. And then last week, Marlon Humphrey, the the rookie cornerback who has had some hamstring problems uh, dating back to training camp, apparently suffered an injury uh, during pregame warm-ups and only played seven snaps. So that's definitely something out of the three. I think that's the one I'm the most uh, worried about at this point. Uh, so we'll go over to, to, to Chris and then Joe just – Anything that we can gather from these injuries, I mean, I guess it's a good sign that we haven't heard anything serious at this point. Again, this podcast being uh, recorded on Tuesday night will be launched on Wednesday. So as of this time, we haven't heard really any updates on any of these players. But uh, I guess it's good that Stanley and Mosley both finished the game after what happened to them. But Humphrey suffering that leg injury pregame and only playing seven snaps, that's something to definitely watch out for, especially with two high-powered offenses in Pittsburgh and Detroit on the schedule. But you know, at least encouraging that Maurice Kennedy is playing so well right now. But uh, 
that's definitely when you have your your uh, latest first round pick on the sideline, only playing a couple snaps when he has had a much larger role on the defense this past couple weeks, especially getting his first interception a few uh, last week in Green Bay. It's something to monitor. Yeah, Marlon Humphrey has uh, become one of my favorite players um, already. I mean, he's he's an exciting first round pick. Hope he's all right. Uh, Stanley's the one that really worries you. The one knock on Stanley that you could even find is that he he has trouble staying on the field. He's had uh, injuries here and there. Um, so Europe, that's fine. Um, but I think the schedule of Monday Night Football is probably why we didn't hear anything. Because you play Monday night, then Tuesday is basically your Monday. And you usually don't hear anything on a Monday. So I would think tomorrow we we might find out a little bit more about Marlon Humphrey and maybe even Ronnie Stanley. Yeah, the Humphrey one is concerning. Um, just of how well he's played this year. I mean, it's great that the Ravens have that depth, but, I mean, he's really stepped in for what Jimmy Smith has been, has been dealing with that Achilles injury. So that was big in the secondary. I just mostly went through concussion protocol. I think that's, um, protocol when you get a stinger anyway, so that's good that he came right back out. Um, but Stanley was the one I was reading about it, and he said he even thought he, like, tore his ACL on that play. I mean, it was good that he was able to come back in, but that's just very concerning. I hope he's able to stay healthy, and this isn't a long-term problem because we saw how bad the offensive line plays when he's not on the field. And if he would have been out the rest of the game when James Hurst had left tackle and how well Kalani was playing, I'd don't think the Ravens would have probably won that game because Clowney was a completely dominating the offensive lines. But, yeah, I guess it's something just to keep an eye on this. All we can really do is speculate right now. Um, it just wouldn't surprise me to see more injuries um, hit this team at the most crucial point in the season. But, I mean, we just pray that all those guys are okay because they're going to need all three of them down the stretch if they're going to make the playoffs this year. Again, one other topic we wanted to hit on some of the uh, the snap counts of the Ravens, uh, particularly early round draft picks, the recent early round draft picks as of late from last night. These are all according to Jeff Zreback, uh, Baltimore Ravens uh, reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, some some high counts here. I mean, especially there there are some low ones we'll get to in a second, but just some high counts as far as snaps go. Uh, Willie Henry, a 2016 fourth rounder, played 46 snaps. Uh, Matt Judon, 2016 fifth rounder, was also near 40 with 39. Zadarius Smith, a 2015 fourth rounder, had 34. And Kennedy, uh, the 2016 sixth round pick, had 32. And then you go Max Williams, you know, 2015 second round pick, had 28 snaps on offense somewhere in the middle, did have a reception or two. Tim Williams, the our third round pick, from, or one of our two third round picks from this year, who has had some issues, um, one staying healthy and two getting on the field, played 14 snaps, especially in the second half last night. So that's that's encouraging to see. A little discouraging, though, Tyus Bowser, a 2017 second-round pick, only getting four snaps on defense. Um, definitely that's something to look out. And then uh, Brashad Perryman, the guy who we have talked about so much on this podcast, the 2015 first-round pick receiver who was benched last week, only has seven receptions this season, not even 100 receiving yards. He plays 16 offensive snaps and does not record an offensive statistic. Uh, so after they've rested him for a week and they get him back in there, he does nothing again. I know we don't want to talk about this anymore, but we'll go to Joe and then Chris. Thoughts on Brashad Perryman, again, being a complete non-factor, uh, even after he got benched last week. I think it just proves what we were already talking about. I mean, 
we didn't have many high hopes for Perryman going in. It was a question whether he was even going to be active last night. Uh, I was surprised that Campanero was a healthy scratch for this, how well he's been returning the ball this season. But, I mean, Perkshaw Perryman had absolutely no impact on the field. He had a couple balls thrown his way, didn't catch a pass. Um, I mean, I don't know what else we can really say. He's a bust. He's, he has no impact on the field. I, I just don't know how this is um, – happened i mean i mean we do know how it's happened it's been very frustrating to watch especially for a first round pick ozzy's going to be kicking himself for this pick um because this is one of the worst ones worst first round draft picks the ravens have ever made and i just don't see him having much future with this team he maybe has some talent left but it's just not here in baltimore he needs to change the scenery so yeah i kind of want to go up to prashad perryman and go yeah what would you say you do here because I, I don't think he does anything. I mean, he he doesn't run routes well. He doesn't catch the ball well. He doesn't fight for 50-50 balls well. He makes a play here or there and says, oh, wow, he, he has this talent. But when you're supposed to be the fastest guy on the football field and you can't get open, you're not the fastest guy on the football field. The second you put – pass on the shot tournament, he loses like two or three seconds. I mean, he, great. He's a combine warrior. Wonderful. Doesn't matter. I'm tired of Perryman. Tired of talking about Perryman. I'm tired of hoping that we'd be wrong about Perryman because oh, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. But I will say this about Tyus Bowser. The reason he's not getting on the field isn't Tyus Bowser. It's that Matthew Don and Terrell Suggs are playing lights out at the outside linebacker positions, and you've got a lot of people at those positions that are doing their jobs. Matthew Dondo, unbelievable. So that, that's the Bowser thing right there. Looking ahead, the Ravens have a short rest week, only uh, really six days separating them between their next contest. Uh, which will be against the Detroit Lions, the last NFC team that they have to face this year, uh, 1 o'clock at MT Bank Stadium on Fox. Um, so really, I mean, this this game really comes down to, I think, the Ravens, uh, what, what they're going to be able to do against Matt Stafford, who currently ranks fifth in the NFL in terms of passing yards for 3,010. Uh, he's definitely one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL at this stage of his career, has been for a couple years now. Really is unappreciated, and I think a lot of it's because the Lions they'd have no absolutely no rushing attack. All of the all of the uh, pressures put on Stafford week in and week out, and yeah, he's prone to make make mistakes. But when we look at it, uh, just from an analytical standpoint, he is one of the top performing quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Just gonna uh, preview this game uh, again, the Ebony Bird podcast here. So really, just it's gonna come down to the Ravens whether or not they can contain Matt Stafford. The Ravens secondary needs to cut down on the penalties, as we've been saying. Uh, the Lions currently have the uh, 24th best run defense in the NFL and the 23rd ranked pass defense in the NFL. But none of that matters because the Ravens offense is 31st overall in the NFL with the Bengals only behind them. And they are dead last in the pa- in the, in the league in, in terms of passing offense. The Lions, meanwhile, are 4-1 and one on the road so far this season with wins in New York against the Giants. Minnesota, Green Bay, and Chicago. They've won all of their away games in the division this year. And they also, their only road loss this season uh, came in New Orleans to the Saints. So Matt Stafford looking at him overall, leading the 6-5 and five Lions, who right now 
in the NFC are uh, second in the NFC North, only behind the 9-2 and two Vikings. They are contending right now for a wild card spot that's looking what, like what it's going to come down to, but they are in the hunt right now with the Panthers and Falcons ahead of them by uh, the Falcons by one game and the Panthers by two. In his career, two games against the Ravens, Matt Stafford is 0-2. Uh, he played them in 2009 and 2013. His only game in Baltimore, a rainy day in 2009. I remember that game very well. I bought uh, I bought tickets off of my buddy Nolan McGraw, who writes for Charm City Birdwatch. Uh, I, I remember a big 48-3 Ravens win Flacco's sophomore season. Uh, the Ravens also beat Stafford and the Lions 18-16 in Detroit four years ago on Monday Night Football. One issue I do uh, want to keep in mind here, though, is the rest factor of the Lions. They did suffer a really bad loss. Uh, at home on Thanksgiving to the Vikings, but they do have 10 days of rest while the Ravens only have six days of rest, uh, really five when you think about just the playing on Monday night and with them playing on Monday night football. A lot of this leads me to believe the Lions are going to take advantage here. I do think a lot of people are expecting the Ravens to, you know, not only keep it close, but a lot of times win every any time they see the Ravens penciled at home. But it really, I mean, especially this season, the Ravens' home field advantage really is no longer there. I mean, yeah, they've won a couple here in a row now against uh, some backup quarterbacks on primetime here. But I'm, a, I'm feeling a, a Lions victory 27-17. to We'll go to uh, Chris and then Joe. Your thoughts on this game, keys to it, and then a score prediction at the end. I think the Lions win, but it's not because I think Stafford's going to go off. It's because I see the Lions' defense being able to shut down the run and rush the passer, and I think the Ravens' offense will make the mistakes that they haven't been making. So give me the Lions winning 17-14. to 14. I think the Lions' offense struggles. I think the Ravens' offense struggles. But I think the Ravens' offense makes the mistakes. I just think they're a very tough matchup for the Ravens. The only thing I will say that I disagree with Chris on is that the Lions have struggled against the run without our boy Haloti Nada up the middle. The Vikings ran all over them on Thanksgiving Day with Latavius Murray and Drake McKinnon. So that is something that might bode well for the Ravens. The offensive line can hold up. They still have Ziggy Hansen, a couple of good pass rushers on the edge who worry me, getting Joe Flacco just like Jadavion Clowney did. But the big thing is, can the Ravens hold up against Golden Tate, against Marvin Jones, two really good wide receivers? And we saw how DeAndre Hopkins had a big game against the secondary. So let's see if they can improve. Uh, Stafford's a good quarterback, like you said. I think he definitely doesn't get enough credit. Um, he's put up some great numbers statistically, and has played on some terrible teams. Really hasn't had much help in some years. But they're a team that we talked about in the Ravens' final six or final five games, the Steelers and the Lions. This is one of those games where the Ravens can pull out a win that really helps them down the stretch. Because you just don't know with this team when they're going to drop games against teams they're supposed to win. You know, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, I don't think they win. I'll go 21-17 in a close game. I don't think we're going to see many points on the Ravens' side. Uh, we'll see what defense shows up. I think this is finally a good test for this defense. They've played a couple of backup quarterbacks. And how they play is, I think, how we're going to, how confident we're going to feel with them heading into the playoffs when they start to actually finally play a confident quarterback under center. I didn't have this on my notes, but you guys reminded me, you know, with him being out this season, I forgot that uh, former Raven, you know, great Haloti Nada played on the Lions, suffered a torn biceps in week five against the Panthers. It's going to keep him out the rest of the season. So he will miss his homecoming, which probably unless he switches to another team or you know moves to another team, particularly in the AFC before he retires, probably won't get another chance to play in Baltimore. 
Um, but just some quick thoughts. Uh, we'll go to uh, Joe and Chris, you know, uh, just to wrap things up here on the Emily Bird podcast on Hello Nada. Really uh, played with the likes of Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Terrell Suggs still with the, you know, the Ravens now, a rookie in 2006. And compared to the rah-rah of Ray Lewis, Suggs, and Reed, really was a quiet guy, um, but certainly was just uh, just a force to be reckoned with in the trenches. Still can be, despite his advanced age, but did his business on the field, was a class act, just, you know, one of the more underrated Ravens, I think, and I think now that we have Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce, we kind of forget about how good of a player Haloti Nata was, but certainly, I think he has a spot in the ring of honor eventually after he retires in a couple years. Yeah, I completely agree. He's a quiet leader of the defense, even though he didn't get much credit for it. Love his Royal Farms commercials, those things were great. Um, He was just a huge guy in the middle of the defense, so the offensive line just had to worry about every single time he came up against him. He's always the guy you had a game plan for, whether it's Double teaming him or make sure, making sure he's getting out, he's getting away out of the backfield. I mean, it you can't if unless you're the best lineman in the NFL, you're not moving Cody Nada with just one guy. I mean, he's huge, he's humongous, and we knew that coming into the draft, and he was just a great Ravens draft pick, such a solid defensive player. Um, I think they parted ways with him when they needed to, and we see that now with all the young defensive talent they have on the defensive line. But I agree with you. I think he's definitely a Ring of Honor guy and a guy I would love to see retire as a Raven one day. Yeah, I agree with everything Joe said. I'll add the most fun thing about Nato was he's just the most nimble big man you'll ever see. Uh, he had the propensity for interceptions. That was fun. Uh, one of my favorite plays is uh, against Tampa Bay. He he intercepts. Uh, he gets an interception. He's running down the sidelines. Ray Lewis steals the ball from him. He's like, give this to me, slow guy. That was That was fun. Nada was one of my favorite players. When he would make a play, I'd always go, Haloki Nata! And I'd do a little stomp. And, um, yeah, I, I did that a lot. He made a lot of plays. Definitely a Ring of Honor guy. I think he's a player that probably falls short of the Hall of Fame, but if there was a Hall of Very, Very Good, he would be in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, probably one of my favorite memories of Nada was, uh, Jim Nance and all of the other uh, NFL announcers that aren't around the Ravens regularly mispronouncing his name over and over again. But with that being said, we will wrap things up on this episode of the Emily Bird Podcast. Again, our two site experts, Chris Schistler at FootballMan58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller with two R's out on Twitter. You can follow me at jmcdonald 95 I am contributor Jake McDonald for Ebony Bird. We are Ebony underscore Bird on Twitter and EbonyBird.com, the official fan site affiliate of the Baltimore Ravens. Thank you for tuning in to episode 15 of our podcast on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to subscribe, give us that five-star review, and we will see you next week on the Ebony Bird Podcast after, hopefully, another Ravens win. <laughs>